Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. I'll be talking to those new to teaching as well as those who have spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Plus, they will reveal the one thing they wish they knew as an NQT that made a real difference to their teaching and might make a real difference for you too. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Tricky. In every other podcast so far, I've talked to primary colleagues, but Sarah is a highly successful secondary teacher who writes a terrific blog called Teach with Mrs. T. I'll just say that again, Teach with Mrs. T, which is full of great advice on pedagogy and practice for trainee and newly qualified teachers. Sarah began teaching in 2004 as a business and ICT teacher. In 2006, she took on her first subject lead role in ICT. In 2011, she became a head of department for computer science. And since 2019, she's been the head of faculty for business, computing and media studies. But that's not all. She's a fellow of the Chartered College of Teachers, has an MA, and is also an expert builder of Lego masterpieces. I haven't seen that yet on her blog, but I'm sure that will appear soon. Now, all of that is very impressive indeed. But the main reason I wanted to speak to her today is that she's absolutely passionate about teaching and learning and is a firm believer in developing research-based practice that will enable students to become more effective learners. So I know she's going to have a lot to say that will be of interest to everyone who wants to improve their classroom pedagogy. Thank you for talking to me today, Sarah. I'm very much looking forward to our chat. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be talking yet again to another colleague about all things teaching and learning. Uh, it's been a, a long, hard slog the past 18 months, but I think we're all getting there. Uh, a few more developments. <laughs> a few more uh, developments since uh, we last emailed. I'm also a, a board member of Computing at School and do a lot of work with them. Oh wow! And I'm, a, and I'm about to start my Ed D, so I'm going back to university <laughs> in, in, in a month. I'm not quite sure why I thought that was a good idea at the time, but we'll see. Hopefully, it will all go well. Well, you're looking very good on it. So um, the past right, eighteen months, getting into your doctorate. None of that seems to have, uh, have caused you any harm yet. I'm sure it won't. You're obviously someone who uh, is eager for all these challenges and, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> and clearly very successful. So Thank I think you. the first thing I want to discuss with you is how you got so interested in teaching and learning. When I look back to my own school days, and I know that was many, many years ago, I remember that most of my secondary teachers were conveyors of knowledge simply expected us to write down what they told us. You clearly think that learning a subject involves much more than that. What prompted your curiosity into classroom pedagogy? Uh, well, I think aside from obviously my training, during my PGC, I've, I really enjoyed the learning that took place there. But it goes back further for me uh, because my I've been wanted to be a teacher for as long as I can remember. And there was lots of family stories of me forcing is the word they use <laughs> encouraging is a word that I would use my, my my younger siblings and my cousins to play schools and I would be the teacher and I would set them little 
mass problems and we weren't allowed to go out to play until they were all done. A nice forcing. I think that's the right word. Uh, yes, but later on <laughs> in my secondary years, it was very much my classroom teachers and there were a, far too many to mention, but some standout ones uh, were Mr. Terence Crabtree. He was my Key Stage 3 English teacher. Uh, he was then, um, he retired and in his place was Miss Tatum who was my Key Stage 4 English teacher. And they were really, really inspiring. They really made learning fun. And on top of those, there was um, Mr. Abraham, who was the most phenomenal German teacher ever. I mean, we as a class, we, we were horrific to him. We, we gave him absolute hell, but he really, really, really inspired us to learn. And, and also Mr. Kreft, who uh, taught alongside him. And then there were the few others that in the, school, in the town where I grew up, uh, a mining town in the Midlands, you might detect that from my accent, but uh, there were some of the my teachers who taught my parents. And so to, to listen to their stories and, and they were really revered people and, and they just made my school experience phenomenal. And then I wanted to sort of pass that on. But as I've progressed through my career, I've always wanted to make sure that I'm doing the very best for my students. And that's where the curiosity comes in because what what is going to help the learners in front of me get the most out of their experience in the hour that they're in my classroom. Uh, being a secondary teacher, I teach uh, specialist subjects, so computer science and business studies. Um, computer science taught at Key Stage 3, obviously, throughout. Um, in most schools, not as much as some would like, some of us in the computing field. Uh, but in my school, we have a, a, an hourly lesson of computer science at Key Stage 3, and then it goes into an option subject at Key Stage 4. I don't have a sixth one where I currently am. But then the students... My job at Key Stage 3 is to infuse them so much that they want to keep going with computer science and take that as a GCSE and then inspire them to do business studies as well. And then there's the fact that I'm female and I teach computer science and I'm also uh, the boss lady, as they like to call me, of, of a team of people. So there's that inspiration there as well. Yeah. So what about this, uh, this getting them enthusiastic about it? Is that obviously due to your personality? I can see that now, but... but... <laughs> But Sometimes also, I'm, not, I'm not always this this fresh and excited about things, Jeremy. But it's about well, of course not. putting the game face on because, you, and I think honesty is the big thing with students. You have to explain to them that whilst you might not be engaged in this particular topic that we're doing right now, actually it leads on to something more exciting. But until we've got this foundation done, we can't move on to the next thing. And it's always about oh, what's coming next. Where will this lead you? Where will it take you? Um, I work in a school where aspiration it is not always where we as teachers would want it to be so it's about raising those aspirations and, and helping children to see where the subjects can take them and what they can do with it and I always I don't always manage it but I go in every day to try and see every day every lesson as a clean fresh slate when we always we're always going to meet those those children who push the boundaries um I don't believe that any child is inherently bad or misbehaved. There's, there's always a reason for someone's behaviour. Lack of sleep, what would be mine, a lack, or a lack of coffee would be the reason why I'm not <laughs> as cheerful as, as I would normally be. And it's, it's about, regardless of how they're reacting to you, it's always about positivity and that positive reinforcement of this is the behaviour I expect. And then when you've got that, the enthusiasm for the subject comes through. Yeah, that's so important. And, and, and something you said there about enabling children to see the journey they're on once you've learned this bit, we can move to that bit. Once we've learned that bit, we can go to this bit. And then we're into something really exciting, really fascinating. But we've got to have the building blocks. And I used to say that to my children in primary classes, you know, 
I don't think this lesson's particularly interesting, but down the line, we're going to be doing this with this subject knowledge. So once we've got this knowledge, we're going to apply it in this way. And, and the application is very often where the real enjoyment comes, much as lots of children enjoy learning subject knowledge, don't they? They, they, yeah. they find it quite a security that I know this and I know this and I know this, but equally lots of children like applying their knowledge to real issues and real problems. And uh, you were telling me before we started, in fact, weren't you, about your uh, your Mario programming with one of your recent classes, which is a classic example of that, really, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I re sort of reverse engineered um, Mario Brothers, just a simple level of Mario Brothers. We have the Goomba, so the little mushroom that walks across. If you don't jump over him, Mario loses a life. We've got a block smash that you can do and collect a coin and it makes all the noises. Firstly, they don't believe that I made it. So I have to show them how to make it in order for them to believe that I can make it. And then in so doing that, they see the basic programming constructs that you need to then be able to make more developed programs. And then they go and experiment because they like to beat me. It's about beating the teacher. Exactly. Am, I am I better than Miss? Look, Miss, look what I've done. Look what I can do. I've made this. And there's always an element of creative truth telling in the lesson in that oh, I've not worked out how I can do this. And oh, I don't think it can be done. And then they want to prove you wrong. They want to prove that you can do it. It's about setting those little challenges. So that always works quite well. Yeah, no, that, that that's inspiring. And, and, and all you primary listeners out there, that's exactly what we want to be doing in primary schools all the time. Real application to the subject knowledge. So we're not just teaching them things that are on the curriculum. There's a real purpose. There's a relevance to their life. There's an enthusiasm to learn this knowledge because I can see there's a real use for it. So important. So let's go back to your secondary training. Did you think there was enough emphasis on teaching pedagogy and how important we both know it is to ensure highly effective learning rather than this simple transfer of knowledge to students, which, which was certainly my experience in secondary school? Um, well, it was a very long time ago now, Jeremy. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago because I'm comparing you to me as we're sitting here and uh, it was a lot less long ago. A lot less long ago. <laughs> That's an interesting phrase. Anyway, uh, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think at the time, for the time and the trends in education at the time I did my training, so 2003-04 is the year that I trained. Yes, there was, but it was all about VAC. I'm sorry if that makes you twitch. Jeremy, but it's all about getting that visual, that auditory, that kinesthetic learning activity within a lesson. And that's what everything was about. Are you meeting the needs of the different types of learners, which is, is quite a contentious issue. It's largely been contested now. That well, it's all fad stuff, isn't it? And, and, and yeah. great, what great teachers do, they say, yeah, I know children learn, this child learns well like this, but they've got to learn to learn well like this and like this to be a, a really effective learner. And Yeah, and I, I think get, there's a, there's I get a danger frustrated of by the fads. Yeah, and there's a danger of labelling children because I go, oh, absolutely, I can't, I can't do this. I'm a kinesthetic learner, and this isn't kinesthetic. And so, um, aside from that, that, and I'm sure you you'll echo this. There aren't really that many things that change. They just come back with a different name. I think I've seen the same thing about five times now. Um, Someone wants to sell another book. Well, I'm yes. going to call it, or a government minister wants to recreate the national curriculum, so we'll call it something new and pretend it's new. Uh, and, yes. and like you say, I've seen it all before. My trainee teachers say to me often, um, do you think you'd be an outstanding teacher now? I said, yeah, of course I would. 
because the basic pedagogy, the basic getting your children to learn, that doesn't change. We're human beings. We, we need to learn things. The fact that we're learning slightly different things and there's a few more technical things to use in technology-based things to use in the classroom, the basic job hasn't changed. And if you I use this set of pedagogy, then you're going to get children to learn well. Yeah, definitely. And as a computer scientist, I'm going to controversially say sometimes technology is more of a hindrance than a help. Hooray! I was a computer programmer. And so I came in and everyone said, oh, computers, they're the way forward. I said, well, they are for some things. Yeah, they don't. So they're very useful and they've been amazing throughout the pandemic. Obviously, we wouldn't have got through it um, learning where we are without it. But they are sometimes they can sometimes be a barrier, a bit of a distraction, I find. Yeah, we, we used to have that faddy thing as well about you must get technology computing into every lesson. What? No, we, when I was ahead, I used to say, no, we don't. We don't. Put it in if it's worth putting in. Otherwise, just forget about it. We're not interested in box ticking to, to get things done. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, you know, in primary, all my primary colleagues endlessly talk about the light bulb moment when students achieve something that they didn't think they could. And, and they all say, that's what makes the job so exciting. Is that something you feel as strongly in secondary teaching? Absolutely. Again, going back to the subjects that I teach, there's some more challenging topics and there's some things that some people will just get and it clicks and others that hey, this is just melting my brain, Miss, I don't understand. Ah. So when you can teach a method of doing something and there's always more that there's no one right way necessarily to do particular things um so i talk about okay this is my way this is the way that i do it and it helps me understand it if it helps you understand it you do it this way if you've got a different way that helps you understand it you do it your way but this is the way that i do it um uh, when you then see them one student going oh i really don't i don't understand this and then their friend goes i get it miss i'll show them and then they do that peer teaching and that happens organically within the classroom that for me that's the bit where i can just sit back in my chair and go my work here is done uh, because then they are learning we all know that the best way to learn is to teach someone else to do something um rather than reading about it or necessarily continually individually practicing mm. on your own and so that bit for me is is the best bit now you now you still look very young if you don't mind me saying Sarah. <laughs> thank you you're very kind um but uh, i know when i started teaching in primary schools i was 24 and 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 teaching year five and i thought blimey i'm not much older than these students but uh, mm. that must be the case in in secondary a lot mustn't it i often oh, think yeah that definitely when you're a young teacher going into secondary and you've got 16 year olds and you might only be 21, 22. And yet you're trying to teach them. Is that, have you had any interesting things happen to you? Any problems that caused you? <laughs> well, yes, I actually just turned 39 two days ago on the 29th. Uh, so I am. Well, happy the youngest person. Thank you very much. I'm the youngest person. I was the youngest person in my year group at school. I mean, you know, other birthdays in August are available for those who've got the 30th and the 31st. I'm not, I'm not discounting your birthday, but when I was at school, I was the youngest. So I actually started my secondary NQT year three days after my 22nd birthday. And I had A-level classes where I was teaching children who had just turned 18. <laughs> so, and, and you very kindly mentioned that I have a quite a youthful look. And so for me, 
my first week in school was was quite it caused some awkward moments and embarrassment uh, the first first day I went to get lunch at the canteen for example the the canteen staff asked me if I paid for my dinners or if I was free school meals <laughs> they said, do, do teachers get free meals and they're like oh Oh, your staff? Oh no, sorry, that's full price and VAT. I was like, okay, that's that's fine. But I was quite often mistaken for a student. I was told off a couple of times by a senior member of staff for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Went, How were you? How good is that? I, I work here. Uh, I'm a teacher. That like, oh, I'm sorry, Miss. I didn't I didn't, I didn't see you there. Uh, so yes, <laughs> and and having that when you're teaching children who've got siblings who are the same age as you. It, it can't they, they don't see you as an adult necessarily they mm. and, and that can sometimes asserting your authority as the as the adult as the professional in the room can be quite challenging so, so what are I your think, tips on that um I just think stand your ground go in and think I, I'm the grown-up here you're you're the child I mean it, yeah. regardless of the age or phase that you're teaching in I would imagine that for some in primary maybe it's the parents that have mm. Uh, parents it can be another challenging point of view because they see you as very young especially if they're the same age as your children they, they don't seem to respect one the fact that we've all we've all done degrees we're, we're not we're not just walking in off the street going oh I might try this today we, we've, we're, we're qualified professional people yeah. who spent a long time studying our craft I mean for primary teachers I think the vast the vast majority will do a degree in education they're doing four years of study to be where yeah. they are with secondary, it tends to be you do your subject degree and then do a postgrad. So you have to try and just go in and go, no, I am the grown up here. And you have to sort of almost put a mask on, a game face and be that character that I'm in control here. You you, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Yes. And I always found that that as long as you talk in professional ways, that, exactly uh, that. that, that it was very powerful to the parents when I say I want to talk to you about this aspect of your child's learning because as you say I was younger than all the parents when I first started teaching of the, of the... you have to make it about the, the the learning rather than the behavior or the child as an individual yeah um because as soon as you start I mean if anyone I've got a very uh, rambunctious almost five-year-old who who's very forthright and <laughs> I birthed a clone, essentially, Jeremy. I've no one to blame for this but myself. Well, that's good because I've got two daughters like that, now 27 and 31, but they stand their ground, they speak their mind, they're very yeah, skilled but, and talented, but crikey, you know you've got them. Yeah, I mean, if anyone then started to critique her as a person, then I would have an issue. But if they're talking about her learning and mm. maybe her impact on others' learning, then... That's different. That I can yeah, understand. that's right. That's such a good point because that's that's the thing we want to maximise every child's learning, and uh, and we can do that by focusing on the learning, of course, and the behaviours we need to get great learning. Is there anything else that stood out for you, good or bad, in your first few years? Yeah. Um, so I've always taught. I've taught mainly, not always, but mainly taught in um, more challenging environments or more socially deprived areas of the country um, because that, that's my bag that's what that's where I like to be I, I feel mm. I can make the most difference there uh, my first teaching post I had an incredibly supportive head of department who was wonderful um, but my induction lead mentor was less so so I think the bad points, and they still stick with me now, and they, they still make me twitch, and I'm still very paranoid about them. Are some of the feedback she gave in 
lesson observations. And these are formal lesson observations that then were, were just, you, you don't say that to somebody who's still learning, you have to be constructive. So one was that um, I was downgraded on an observation because when I was writing on the board, she couldn't read my writing from the back of the classroom and I had my hand in my pocket. I think hand um, in the pocket is criminal. And, uh, and I'm surprised you weren't struck off the staff mm. immediately. Well, the reason for me having my hand in my pocket is because I'm right-handed, and when I write on a whiteboard with my right hand, my left hand conducts. I don't know why, but it, it sort of mimics Brilliant. what my right hand is doing. So it looks like I'm conducting an orchestra, so I put my hand in my pocket to, ah. stop, to stop it doing that. Uh, since that observation, I always put my hand behind my back so that it doesn't flap around uh, doing crazy things if ever um, I mean we've just talked about focus on the learning you know and, and then yeah. you see your so, mentor comes up with something like that which is so trivial as to not be worth mentioning yeah and there, there were other things so um you know your listeners won't be able to see because they're listening but um I have I wear a nose ring I have 13 ear piercings I have an abundance of tattoos all of which were declared upon interview and I asked about them are you happy with with my look, do you want me to cover things up? And they were like, no, 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 it's all fine, it's all fine. Um, and then about half a term in, one of the more senior colleagues, an older an older gentleman, member of staff, I said, would, would you be offended if we asked you to take your earrings out? I was like, well, yeah, because I asked about it in my interview, and he said, it's fine. Um, so yeah. And then the, the final thing that I remember very, very vividly uh, was the, my first form group, the head of year had walked into my first form session as I was talking to the class and introducing myself and he stood directly in front of me and then spoke over me, about me, to the children to introduce me. Oh, no. Uh, this annoyed me uh, and so I was having a little bit of a vent about it in the classroom, not realising that his wife was also a teacher there and was sat next to me. So where you're in a, a school <laughs> with common surnames I'm not going to say the name in case they they listen but um where you're in a classroom with common a school with common surnames and lots of teachers with the same surname maybe just check that they're not married or related before before you um talk to somebody yeah but having said that people have to behave professionally don't they and 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 I don't know I, if the profession's better at that or any profession. We, we live in a society now, don't we, where rudeness seems quite commonplace. I mean, I will point out that I was just expressing that I was mildly irritated that exactly. he stood in front of me and spoken over me. It wasn't I was saying this person's a horrible person or being no. unprofessional. But it I used to say, I remember once, yeah, when I, I went to a school, we were bottom 5% in the country, so we were in a right old mess. And, uh, and some of the teaching was shockingly bad. And, and one particular teacher who I'd been doing some work with came and saw me and said, you don't like me much, do you? I said, you're charming, you're lovely, you're delightful. I said, I'll take you down the pub after school if you like, and we'll have a drink and we can have a chat. I said, uh, why do you think I don't like you? She said, you're always on at me. I said, I'm not always on at you. I'm always giving you advice because we need to improve. And in the three months I've been here, I haven't seen much improvement from you. And she said to me, see, you don't like me. I said, no, the trouble is you're confusing personal and professional. I said, personally, I really like you. I said, professionally, I'm afraid to say you're the worst teacher I've ever seen. So I said, 
and I said, you're going to feel that personally now, but that's not a personal comment about how I think about you because you can improve. Everyone can improve, but you've got to want to. You've got to work on those things I've asked you to work on. And, uh, and I think that's the trouble in it. People take everything personally instead of it being a professional discussion. And, and, and this, we've got to leave personal aside, which is difficult, of course, but it's what you have to do, isn't it, when you're a professional? Indeed. Um, yeah. So there must have been something good. What are the best things you do? What are the best things you've done? I think where you see those children who've been written off by either other colleagues or by other adults in their lives, and you get them, you, I say you get them, it's not my work, it's their hard work at the end of the day, but... They, no, but they it's get your a, influence. They it's get your a quali- influence. They get a qualification. They make it to the end. of. For some of the students that I've worked with in the past, it's about actually making it to the end of year 11 and still being in school. But yeah, I think those, those are the moments for me. I've, I've still got um, the, odd, the odd email that I, I've laminated and I keep in a special folder that I go back and read every now and again from, from children. So those sorts of things. It's always about the children for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's go back to your interest in pedagogy and about your blog. Your mm-hmm. blog is, uh, is such a great bit of work. That, well, thank um, you. So what prompted you to start writing it? Uh, frustration is the short answer. Uh, so it's uh, about 18 months old now, the blog, just under. I started writing it, I started planning it in my head just as we went into lockdown. So as the first lockdown happened, I, I started to write it then. I then actually sort of planned it all out and then began writing in the May half term and it went live then. And it was because I was struggling with not being able to connect with my trainees and my NQTs because we weren't in school. We weren't able to do those face-to-face sessions and I wanted to ensure that they were still receiving high quality training, even though we weren't all together. (laughs) And I realised there wasn't a lot out there for people to just go and read short, sharp Mm. articles about about pedagogy um, yeah that's the bit I like about it you can uh, you can sit and have a cup of tea and read the article yeah I think the, the longest one's about 10 minutes reading time yeah. I try to keep it about five minutes um with just 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 this this is the point this is how you this is what it is this is how you could do it here are some examples um and I always put it as there's not one right or wrong way you've got to make it work for you but here's here's some suggested places Here's some further reading if you want to go and read more about it. So, Yeah, and that, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. I bang on about that forever. There's not one right way. There's a way that works with children and helps them become better learners, and there's ways that don't. Yeah. And, uh, but you can do things in a thousand different ways. So on your blog, I was looking at it the other day, the most popular article and it's got over a thousand views is the article on Socratic questioning. And so, so what type of questioning do you use most often and, and, and what impact do you think great questioning has on the students? Oh, that's another podcast in itself. It is. Always, You've got to give me a short answer to it. Oh, goodness. You're the expert so you can condense. Uh, I'm not an expert. I just like of course to share you're what, an expert. You're I, an I like expert. to share what I do uh, uh, and the impact that I've what seen. Was it, what was it Einstein said? He said, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it very well. That's okay. a terrible paraphrase, but of course that is what he said, something like that. 
Okay, so for me, I, I had done a CPD session, training session a couple of years ago uh, about the big question matrix from, from Teacher Toolkit, which is based on Socratic questioning. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I like this. And it helped me, first of all, to plan out my questions. And when I was writing out the questions, I was thinking about specific learners in my classroom because it builds the wider knowledge and a sort of more lateral thinking and deeper thinking and understanding mm. of a topic. I don't have a specific questioning style. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'd be an academic who who's, who's re- writes a lot about questioning who could come and observe me and go, right, this is your style of questioning. This is how you do it. Mm. And like, maybe I'll make my own method up and it'll be the tricky method of questioning. The tricky method. Love it. Um, and then it's, it's about developing students' answers. I don't accept ever, and the students hate me for it, but they seem to get used to it. I don't ever accept a short answer. Yeah, that's what I used to do. You've got to think, haven't you? We don't want just the first thought that comes in your head. If I can still ask you why or so what, then you've not answered the question. Mm. So, so that's, and again, I tell my students, imagine when you're, when you're in, sat in your exam and you're writing your answer, that I'm stood there and I'm going, why? If I can still ask you why or and what, so what, then you haven't answered the question and you've got to, I know that might give you nightmares to think that I'm saying that to you all the time, but you've got to think about it. So when you start really asking them these build up questions, you start off small and you sort of build it up in a block, stepping stones almost. It helps to then, as I said before, deepen and solidify their knowledge and understanding, which means when you do come to an exam question that has evaluate, analyze, explain, discuss as a command word, they don't struggle as much and they get higher marks. Mm -hmm. And this, this, you see my the results in you know, my department's results, the children's results have increased year on year on year since we've been there. I mean, I went into a school that there were no computer science teachers. There, weren't, there were no department. There was no department. There was just me and I had to build a team, which mm. I now have a wonderful team around me. But we work very much on the, the foundation skills and techniques that are required for success and the end result, which is ultimately for us is, is the GCSE exam. Um, so, yeah, and it was all about, I was like, oh, it's not just about blooms. <laughs> Everyone's been about blooms taxonomy for so, so, so long. They forget about all the other types of questioning. I mean, you've got, obviously, thinking hats and, and other areas that people look at. But Socratic questioning looks at the why, the might, the could, the would, those sorts of questions that, again, I would, would imagine for the primary sector to start getting to younger children to think about those questions. How might this affect something else? Absolutely. Because I, I say to my to think teachers, outside their box a little bit more. Yeah, I say to my teachers all the time, think of, when you want a question, think of modal verbs. Might, could, should, all of those may. They're the ones that get deeper thought. They're the ones that make children synthesise, join ideas together so that they come up with a much richer, much deeper answer that has connected things in their own brains. So, uh, yeah, I really like that. So that's one, all you listeners, get over to Teach With Mrs T and look up that Socratic questioning blog. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Now, another one I liked, we're not going to talk about it now because we're running out of time, Sorry. but the lazy <laughs> lesson structure diagram in your lazy teaching blog, which was... And it's nothing to do with being lazy, folks, but it's a very catchy heading, which forced me to open the article to have a read. And, uh, and, it, and it gives you a, a structure, a lesson structure for 
mapping your way through the learning that I think is really valuable. You've got two sentences now, Sarah, to tell us something about that and why you came up with that. Uh, I didn't come up with lazy teaching. There's a whole massive book on it. Go get oh, it. Lots of, yeah, lots and lots and lots of methods of things to do. But the summary is students do more when the teacher does less. Hurrah. That's perfect because couldn't agree more with that one. Now, you go, oh, crikey, Sarah, you've shared so much with us, which, as I thought, it's so applicable to our primary listeners, too. But of course, there is one thing I've got to ask, and it's what's the one thing you wish you knew as an NQT? You can do anything, but you can't do everything. Prioritise. Oh, lovely that is. Sarah, thank you so much for talking to me today. Your blog, which is full of interest in pedagogy, thoughts and strategies, made me think of a famous Mark Twain quote. He once said, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. The secret of getting started is breaking your complex, overwhelming tasks into small, manageable tasks and then starting on the first one. And that's just what your blog does. So if you want a pedagogy idea, folks, get over to teachwithmrst.com because there's something there for everyone. Thank you, Sarah. That's been uh, really informative, really interesting. And uh, there's a lot there for everyone to get out of that. Thank you very much, Jeremy, again, for having me. Been a pleasure. Great. So what now, listeners? What is the one small thing that you'll do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils? Remember, one small step at a time is the way to continual improvement. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please leave a review and share it with your friends. I'd be very keen to know what you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts, so please get in touch. We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat with an inspiring teacher. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.